Would you uh, bow your hearts in prayer with me? Father, we do thank you for this time that we can come here and we can look at yet another burden that you have invited us to cast before you because you care for us. And God, we thank you for that because it just feels like our burdens run deep. Sometimes they feel like they overflow and mount up and stack up and we just don't know what to do with it all. Well, Lord, I thank you for these reminders that we've just sung together. Of you being our hope and what you will bring about and the care that you have for us and the, the uniqueness of who you are. You the one we are praying to now, the one who breathed out through his spirit the word we are about to read and study in different ways, Lord, that, that you are the mighty God. And so, Lord, I pray that you would calm our hearts and quiet our minds and help us to hear from you in this moment. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have you ever heard about the human meerkats? You know, meerkats are, they're those little, it's, it's uh, Timon from Lion King. They, they're always looking for danger, convinced that, that anything at any moment is going to eat them, so they're always looking around. Well, the human meerkats are in a near constant state of fear. They're convinced the absolute worst could happen at any moment. Uh, some people, uh, including reality TV, call them doomsday preppers. And these people, they make bunkers out in the woods, but they won't tell you the location because when the inevitable happens, they don't want you knocking on their hatch. It's not a door, it's a hatch. It's buried under some shrubbery. It takes them down eight levels uh, below the surface to where they can easily survive World War III eating lavishly out of their five-gallon buckets full of lentils and they will just survive the nuclear holocaust or the zombie takeover, whichever comes first, uh, it's, it's there ready for them. And some of these people uh, in documentaries, are, are, you see them waiting for the movie Mad Max or Waterworld to happen. What they do is they obsess over and create new scenarios of danger that could come. They spend every resource of time, money, mental equity, and energy with the fullest conviction that everything in our society will crumble at any moment. Listen to this. This is what they do. They give themselves to an unknown tragedy that has not yet happened because of smaller past events or, as is often the case, based on a narrative of past events, true or spun, that they have adopted. Well, I don't think any of us have a secret fortress that's capable of withstanding World War III hidden somewhere in our backyard. But I think a lot of us can, can certainly relate to this idea of I am going to be obsessed with and pine over this reality that may come about based on things that have happened or a version of things that have happened when indeed there's not much risk of this to happening. And this is what the burden of the unknown feels like. 
It is this constant worry of, well, what's going to happen about this person? What's, where's that going to go? What's going to happen with my job? What's going to happen with my retirement? What, what's going to happen with my kids who aren't walking with Christ? What's going to happen with fill in the blank? It, we, we live in this kind of constant state of um, immediacy, imminent fear of imminent results. It's almost like, you know, in the spring when a bad storm is coming and the western sky is black and so like you're like, okay, that's a ways out still, but it's definitely going to come. You're looking at like your 18 weather apps on your phone, looking at all the future radar stuff. And you go outside, you put away everything that could blow away. Like you, you, you start moving all your snacks to the basement because it could be a good 15 minutes you're down there and you don't want to get famished. This burden of the unknown is like that. There's a black sky in the west and I know it's heading to me. But instead of it being over within an hour, it's every morning you wake up, you look out to the west, and you see a black sky. You see those navy blue clouds heading your way, and they never seem to get there, but the threat of them coming is perpetually in front of you. We carry this unknown with us, it weighs us down. We wonder, am I viable? Do I really have a future? Is this season, is this pain or struggle that I have, is it ever going to end? Will I ever be loved? How will I get through tomorrow? What is the future for my loved one? And we worry about these things. Things that may not ever happen, we pine over them, even though we have no ability to change them in and of ourselves. And we feel this crushing weight that we can't seem to affect or know fully or get out from under. We can't always put our finger on it, but it consumes us. We give ourselves to that which is unknown, but is somehow connected to something that's happened, whether that's factually that it happened or a spun version of what has happened. And so we need to remember this hospitable offer from the Lord. Come in. Cast all your anxieties on me because I care for you. And some of those anxieties are pretty easy to identify. Yeah, Lord, I, I'm struggling with my finances. I, I have this relationship that can't seem to right itself. I, I feel super Guilty about all my sin. But then there's a whole bunch of stuff that we just can't seem to sort out. And to those things, the Lord welcomes us in, asks us to cast our anxieties on Him for the simple reason that He cares about us. And so, if what I've described with this looming cloud coming in that just never seems to get here but always has you in a state of what happens when it gets here. Here's, here's the word for us. The Lord invites us to bring him the sorrow and burden of our unknown. And in, the, and in light of these constant weights, we are invited to know the Lord. We're going to be spending most of our time this morning within the Word in Psalm 31 and Psalm 13. And so I invite you just to kind of have a finger in both 
And these are, these are different psalms where David's crying out. And he, in Psalm, in psalm uh, 13 especially, we, we don't know the exact circumstances of this, but, but maybe we can relate to these words. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my own soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemies be exalted over me? Have you ever, if you're within this burden of the unknown, asked how long? Well, when we come to this debate table where our flesh is screaming out things of how long and you're alone and this is never going to end, the Lord, through his word, is saying, know me. Know me. It's necessary for us to know God in order for us to cast our burdens on him. This is the greatest of any sort of trust-fall exercise. We cannot effectively cast our burdens on the Lord without knowing him. And, the, and I want you to think of the difference between within your scope of relationships, you have a friendly acquaintance who you talk about the weather or the sports, certain current events, but certainly not all of them because we don't want to go there. You have that friendly acquaintance where you do kind of uh, snack break, light conversation with, and then you have your deep friend, and they just know the ins and outs of your life, and you can, they're, they're a true confidant, and you can share anything with them. Well, how are we ever going to cast our burdens on the Lord effectively if we keep the Lord in this kind of unknown friendly acquaintance category instead of really knowing the Lord? There is a distinct, grand, and dangerous difference between knowing about God and knowing God himself. Listen to Psalm 31, how it starts out. And I want you to particularly listen for how the psalmist knows God. And the, the language of relationship that the psalmist has with the Lord. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me. A strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. You are, for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden for me. For you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Oh, I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction. You have known the distress of my soul and you, you have not delivered me into the hand of my enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. Did you hear it in there? The psalmist knows the Lord. He has a history with God. This is not the first time he's called out for help. It's good news that we are called to know God because God is knowable. We have a knowable God. He's not distant. He's not inapproachable. Instead, he actually approaches us. 
He's demonstrated this through all of Scripture and creation. He approached humanity by creating them, by showing Adam the garden. Even in the fall, God approaches them knowing they've sinned. God provides ways back to him. He approaches Abraham. He approached Moses. He approaches the people through the prophets. And ultimately, he approaches us through Jesus himself. And he even goes further to approach us by sending his Holy Spirit to indwell believers. That he would put himself in us. This sets the God of the Bible apart from any other deity in all creation. Of any other religion. He is truly unique. He is not saying be good enough that I may consider you. But he is saying let me come to you. And over and over and over again he does just that. He comes to us to draw us to him. This is a great treasure, and we need to be careful not to take it for granted. The God of heaven, the maker of heaven, the mighty God we just sang to can be our personal refuge. You listen to the psalmist. The psalmist, if he's a doomsday prepper, he doesn't have a bunker. He has the Lord. He's not putting his trust in his own resources, in his own capabilities, in in his own supplies that he's able to draw together. He's putting his trust squarely in the Lord, nowhere else. Lord, you're my rock, you're my refuge, you're my ever-present help. You, You pull me out of the net that's set before me. I've committed my spirit to you, Lord. Sometimes we get so fixated in this cosmic power of God, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who sets the stars in their place, and we forget just how personal he is. I hope that over the last few weeks, you found yourself a bit more keyed in on the idea of the truth that the Lord really cares personally about you. And in, a, in, a, in an age and a culture where people spend so much effort and energy and money and time trying to make themselves appealing and pleasing to other people. I hope that you would see the infinite love of God in contrast to that superficial approval that our world tends to offer. The depth of God's love and in relational presence. Oh, this is a great treasure and it should not be wasted. You know, I think a lot of us at different times have, have done cheesy trust fall exercises where you have someone stand on a platform, a group of people, they got to link their arms and you just have to fall backwards. You're supposed to stay straight as a board and do this uh, as though like you're superhuman and and the first time you do it it's terrifying and you're like I don't I don't trust these people to scrape my windshield how am I going to trust them to like actually catch my gigantic body speaking autobiographically and and what I found and maybe this makes me weird whether it's been like with a trust fall exercise or something where I have to really trust equipment like a ropes course or climbing, is that that first time where you have to really fall back and trust is pretty scary. And then once you do, it actually kind of becomes enjoyable. 
I know I'm going to get caught when I fall, and there's a thrill to that. I know I'm going to be secure when I'm in a moment of danger, and there's, there's a thrill to that. There's a peace to that at the same time, and I just want to put before you, trusting the Lord is, is very similar to this. The psalmist, when he's talking about God being his rock and his refuge of saving him, this, this personal nature of God caring for him in, in crazy circumstances, the psalmist does, does not have a unique offering from the Lord relationally. David isn't sitting there and God's like, well, David, let's face it, you're my favorite person in the world, and so I'll be your rock, but just don't expect me to be anyone else's rock. God's availability to David is not what sets David apart. If anything sets David apart, it's that he takes advantage of God's availability. God, I'm going to continually fall back on you as my rock and my fortress. And I found in my own spiritual walk, I hope you've found this, or if you haven't found it yet, I hope you will find it, that the more I find myself in situations requiring God's help, how am I going to share my faith with these two to love? God, I've gotten myself into a conversation I don't know my way out of. How am I going to give sacrificially to this thing I know I need to give to, but it just doesn't make sense, and God, I'm going to have to do this. God, I'm going to have to move my family to pursue your call on my life. I'm going to have to give you my future instead of giving my future to something else. That the more I, I put myself in those situations, God is continually faithful. And what starts as completely terrifying moves to terrifying and enjoyable. It can still be scary, but there's a joy and a thrill when you, you do something and you're like, oh God, you told me your word doesn't return void. I shared one verse with this person it changed their life. I can't believe that happened. It's who God is. It's what he does. Imagine David at the end, it's like, God, I, I mean, I asked for you to protect me. I, I just didn't see you doing it. No, he does it with confidence. He knows when he falls back, the Lord is going to catch him because he knows the Lord. He knows God, and he acts and relies on that knowledge. There's a very personal, experiential nature to this knowledge that the psalmist has in Psalm 31. This type of knowledge is not found in a class or a podcast, but it's found on our knees, through our tears. That's when we see the true power and the protecting love of God. And so real quick, as we prepare to move on, how do we grow? How do we, how do we know the Lord? How do we grow in this knowledge? First of all, through his word. God has given us his word. He's an unchanging God. Think about it this way. More time elapsed between the writing of Genesis and the writing of Revelation than has elapsed between Revelation and now. And God was the same from Genesis to Revelation. God is the same today. Let us know him through his word. Let us know his, his, the creative and salvific history of our world. Let us know God's holiness. Let us know his eagerness for repentance and soft-heartedness. Let us find his grace-filled faithfulness. And let's also look at our own personal history. Some of you have been walking with the Lord for quite some time now. 
And you've had moments in your life where you've done these spiritual trust falls and seen God to be faithful, and he's there, and he, he just shows up. And it's easy for you to celebrate those things. He's gotten you through stuff. He's answered prayers. He's worked through your trials. Your own testimony of coming to Christ. Rely on that. And sometimes, let's admit it, that doesn't feel like enough for us. Or perhaps you're really young in your faith and you just haven't had the benefit of those experiences yet. Well, that's where we need each other. We need to gather. We need to hear the stories of God working in the people around us, of him healing illnesses, of him providing what's needed, of him giving the words to speak in a tough conversation. We need each other. We need to see God's work in each other's lives. We need, we need to come together and have our gaze properly reset on the Lord. Sometimes I just need to come to church to have other believers show me what it is to look at the Lord and go through life looking at the Lord because I, my ADD affects a lot more than just practical focus. I spiritually, I'm just all over the place sometimes. And I'm so grateful for the men and women of God who have patiently and, and oftentimes without knowing reset my gaze on the cross. We need to gather. So we know him through his word, we know him through what he's done in our life, and we know him through his people. So he invites us to know the Lord with these current weights, and he invites us to educate our unknowns. We need to take this knowledge of God and educate our unknowns. There's a heart-head pull here right now that, that within the unknowns, within lamenting, within carrying these burdens. And a lot of times we will we'll tell people like, okay, the heart knows who the Lord is and the head doesn't. We need to convince it. Um, and there, there's all these kinds of analogies that people use with that, with this 18-inch gap that, that causes people to, to miss what the Lord is doing. I, I just want to say in these burdens, sometimes my heart needs to educate my head. Sometimes my head needs to educate my heart. It goes both ways. My flesh is just as capable of leading my heart astray as it is leading my mind astray. And so sometimes I, I'll get overwhelmed and I need my head to bring reason. And sometimes I'll just start to doubt and I need my heart to say, remember when? And they need to work together, taking that knowledge of God and applying it to the circumstances. We need to allow our faith in God, and sometimes we even need to like dictate or force our faith in God to set the paradigm for what we are facing. It is, it is so easy for us as people. We see this all through Scripture. We see this God's people over and over again in the Old Testament. God does something amazing, and everyone goes, ooh, and then the next week, they're like, well, I wonder what the world has to offer. I'm going to go after Baal. They, they seem to have a good church. And just, we just go astray so fast. So sometimes we'll come to church and we'll, we'll sing a song and we'll, we'll raise our hands and we'll get excited. Some of you might be like really daring and like just sway a little bit. You know, not so much that people think you're Pentecostal, but enough that you're like, yeah, I'm really expressing myself. 
And then we, we go home. We open our email. Everything comes flooding back in. We go home. We get a phone call we don't want. We go home and we see whatever it is that's been left undone for so long. And we start to cry out with the psalmist, How long? How long, O oh Lord, is this going to go on? And our circumstances, they just, they'll just pound us with loneliness. We'll feel forgotten. This is, this is Psalm 13 here. How long will you, will you forget me forever? How long do I have to take counsel in my own soul? I'm completely alone, Lord. My, my sorrow is overtaking me all day long. I'm exhausted from this trial. I'm exhausted from not knowing what's going on. And our flesh and our, our burdens, they come in like this fraudulent salesman with really nice graphics on paper. And they say, look at this and this and this. And you're like, oh, I'm buying that. And it's just more burdens and more pain. And what the psalmist does for us is he doesn't just teach us to pray in these. He doesn't just put words to our experience. But he sets forth this example of like, here's my circumstances. Here's my burden. Here's my flesh. And then here's the Lord. And God is bigger than my bird and God is bigger than my unknown and he goes in and, he, and the psalmist we see it in Psalm 13 he starts with how long will you hide your face from me God and then he ends with but I have trusted in your steadfast love my heart shall rejoice in your salvation I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me and he's not schizophrenic the, the Psalm 13 feels schizophrenic because he starts with, I'm forgotten by God, God has hidden his face from me, and he ends with, God has dealt bountifully with me. It's not schizophrenic, but it is a really good picture of how our flesh will get to a point and we need our theology to have the last and the best voice in it. Because at the debate table, the loudest person is not always the right person. So we don't get trapped in with these fraudulent graphics from a, a faulty salesman. We look at truth. We look at who God is. God knows the timing of everything I'm dealing with. And so I can look at the timing. The psalmist looks at the timing. I've trusted in God. I've, what I'm going through right now is terrible, but I've trusted in God and I know what's coming. I know God's promises are true. I know God's track record is, is faultless. We set our mind and heart on the Lord and find strength. And here's how we do this. We apply the character and nature of God to our circumstance. There is not a time when God will act contrary to his word. If we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. If we repent, he will forgive us. If we humble ourselves, he will exalt us. If we, when we are weak, his power is made perfect. And I gotta tell you, that's a lesson God had to teach me in 2022. I had some stuff in my life that was out of my control that I really wanted in my control and it really humbled me. And I learned that I'm really good at reading Paul 
confessing God's power is made perfect in his weakness. And I, I'm so happy for Paul. God's power is made perfect in my weakness too. And as a matter of testimony, when I humbled myself to that reality, when I gave myself to that truth, when I leaned in to God's character and nature and applied His, His truth to my circumstance, everything did not get immediately better and go my way. But my heart was at peace within me. And my circumstance became much more bearable. God's power and who God is applies to your season in life and applies to your unknown. So we know the Lord. We educate our unknowns by applying the truth of God to our circumstance. And then we live in all the time zones. We live in the past, we live in the future, we live in the present. But not like a responsible adult who knows the difference between time zones. We live in the time zones like my college roommate's mom from the East Coast. Manny's mom would call from New York at a great time to call in New York, but not a great time to call in Iowa. And she would always do this on Saturday mornings. And so sure enough, the phone would ring. Manny, your mom is calling again because she didn't remember that we lived in a different time than she did. I'm not bitter. I've gotten over it. But we need to live in a way that blends the time zones together. Here's what I mean. We start in the past. Look at, look at let's go back, let's look at Psalm 13. Verse 5, I have trusted in your steadfast love. He's looking back at a past event. He could have focused on his shortcomings. I have messed up. I have screwed up. You know, I'm probably getting what I deserve here. But instead he says, I have trusted in your steadfast love. He leans on his testimony. He leans and he's anchored in the fact that God's love is steadfast, unmovable, unconditional. And he has put his trust in there. He's put his stake in the ground with the Lord. This kind of living in the past does not keep him grounded in the past, full of what ifs or I blew it moments, but it keeps him grounded in the past, knowing that I am secure, I am held in the hand of God. He knows my name, he will not forget it. He knows the hairs on my head. He is a good God, a loving God, a providing God, a protecting God. And I am on him. And I am in him. And then he jumps from the past to the future. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord. Because he has dealt bountifully with me. So he's gone, I've put myself squarely in the promises of God. And because of that, I know that the day is coming when all of this hardship will be gone and I will be with my Lord forever. 
and I can't wait for that day. And he starts singing about that day. And then what he does is he takes his past, looking at the promises of God that he is anchored in and tied to. He looks at the future rejoicing, and he brings those together to guide him in the present. Isn't that wonderful? His problems don't vanish because he prays this, prays this magical prayer. But his problems and his burdens just get a lesson in perspective. And so does his heart and mind. I have the steadfast love of God. I have the future rejoicing that's ahead of me. And so I know that while my heart feels forgotten by God, it's not. While I feel alone, while I feel like I can't overcome this, that all of this is true. That all of what God has for me is true right now. So he lets his past, putting faith in the Lord and his future of what the Lord will do, speak into his present. I don't need to worry about tomorrow because the Lord has that in hand. The Lord is the creator of everything. He provides for all creation. He's going to provide for me. I don't need to worry about that. I can just fix myself on today. In Psalm 31, verse 14, we see him turn too far. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine upon your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. He reaffirms his trust in God like three times. He knows the God he's crying out to. He lets his past and his future come together and he prays for his present based not on like just this looming dark cloud, but on the character and nature of God and God doing what God does. I wonder if a doomsday prepper who has given his life, revolved his life around the scenario that either zombies or Putin are going to take over, building a fortress in the backwoods of Idaho, filling it with five-gallon buckets full of imperishables, goes on to die peacefully at a ripe old age. Is he disappointed? He's just poured himself out for this, only to die at a ripe old age, knowing I've been carrying all this burden for nothing. I didn't get to use a single dried bean. How disappointing that must be. Spend your whole life worrying about a problem that never actually happened. May we learn from that mistake and not be enslaved to the unknown, but live in the freedom of God's steadfast love that we've trusted in future rejoicing we will have.
confidently face our unknown with the promises of God, our eyes firmly fixed on Him, the faith we've properly placed in Him, and the work He'll eventually do. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You for this. We cry out for Your help. Lord, our burdens are they're just so heavy. They're so fixed. Sometimes they just feel so inescapable. But Lord, you are bigger. You are mightier. You are stronger. You hold this all in your hand. You use our hardships for, for our good in your name's sake. That you develop stuff in our heart. That your power is made perfect in our weakness. That we don't have to worry about tomorrow. Because if you take care of the lily of the field and the swallow of the air, that you will take care of us too. So Lord, help us to know you more in breadth and depth so that we can better educate our burdens with who's really in control of this situation. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.